0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning everybody. The headlines this hour. The stock rally slows as yields rise. The US 10-year hits a 12-month high and the curve steepens as St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says investors expect a post-pandemic pickup. A rising dollar limits oil price gains while the Texas deep freeze continues with wells and refineries offline and hundreds of thousands of homes without power.
1: Rio Tinto declaring a record dividend after posting its first annual profit in almost a decade with the miner benefiting from strong commodity prices. Plus, a thirst-quenching deal. Nestle sells its North American water brands to One Rock Capital Partners for $4.3 billion.
2: The Oracle of Omaha sours on banks, with Warren Buffett instead betting big on oil, telecoms and media, with a slew of new billion-dollar investments for Berkshire Hathaway.
0: very good morning everybody we've come down to the wall here because what a funny old week this is turning out to be i think we talked on monday a little bit about as the u.s was away for president's day it felt like there was a bit of a shift in the way international markets were performing and so we picked that up and we talked a little bit about it and here we are we get to wednesday yesterday's session the u.s comes back into the trade and again What an interesting day of trade. It almost felt like, again, it was one of those days where you have to think a little bit harder about whether this momentum is going to continue. And Steve's going to have a look at a whole slew of other asset classes. But I'll just uh, feature for a moment here the main action on the exchanges. And the point to make about this, of course, is that there were gains that slowly... Uh, dissolved as we went through the trading morning the Dow Jones industrial average managed to hold on to two tenths of one percent here but gradually we saw these markets lose momentum through the trading session if we could just have a quick look at the banks that might be helpful if we can flip over the uh, wall my friends in the gallery and we can just have a look at how the banks that we've got any action on the buttons can we have a look at the banks can we do that I know you're arguing in there about what happens with the tape, but we do need to bring some of the boards up. So the banks were a strong feature as you look at the sectors that perform well. And the obvious reason for that to happen is that we got some movement around the cost of money. And that's reflected in the 10-year Treasury yield. So just take on board... The gains that we saw in the banks, a representation, perhaps, what, of the fact that the markets believe that the vaccines are going to work, the reflation trade is going to happen, economic activity is going to pick up, and the lifeblood of the economy, the banks that supply the credit are going to benefit from that, and they're going to benefit from an improvement in the price of money as reflected by the 10-year Treasury yield. So let's have a look at that, because this is the story that uh, Steve and I and uh, everybody else has been chatting about pre the show this morning. How important, actually, is this move to one spot three on the 10-year Treasury note? And I just had a little dig back into some of the conversations we've been having over recent years. And and you'll remember, of course, this... Um, It is the end of the Bond bull market (laughs) as we know it. 2012? 2012 was... Peter Oppenheimer Goldman Sachs. Peter Oppenheimer Goldman Sachs. <laughs> but much more recently, and someone who is perceived to be the legendary Bond Guru. Which one? Like no other. Well, there are a couple here. We Gross. could talk about Jeffrey Gunlack, but that was Bill Gross, yeah, effectively. Say, yeah. So that was January twenty eight. The ten year yield at that point rose to two spot five five percent. In fact, the reality is that, oh, you've taken it away now. So the reality is, of course, that I'm glad we're working together. We'll get this right in the next hour. The 10-year Treasury yield before the COVID crisis was actually at 2%. But we're suddenly at one spot three. And apparently the market is getting a bit rattled about that. So, do we have inflation coming? Do we have inflation coming? (laughs) It depends where you measure
1: it, doesn't it, my friend? Uh, Everyone I speak to, there is say there's inflation out there in the products that they are using, and look. I've always had a problem with core. And I know that central bankers like core. By the way, I just want to mention your spread. It's quite, yeah. it's, its highest level since 2017, by the way, the 118 points we're seeing on the 2 to 10, which yeah. I think is very interesting. That's what's getting them a little bit exacerbated about the steepening, which I mentioned yesterday. Mm. Mm. But yeah, there is inflation happening. Mm. There is no doubt there's inflation happening. I'll give you an example because, look, I happen to live in the middle of nowhere and I have an oil tank, so I use uh, heating oil, mm. okay? And now maybe I can use ground source pump going forward and I can be greener. Well, we'll just leave that for the moment. But I paid at the bottom, and to be fair, I did pay at the bottom. Mm. Only trader got right last year. 14 pence a litre. I paid 14 p a litre Mm. for uh, oil to fill up my oil tank. And at the time, I saw on Twitter people saying you need to buy a new oil tank. To which I said, I don't really want an oil depot at home. But what I do want is is cheap oil. 14 p a litre. I just had to fill up my tank at 43 p a litre. If that ain't inflation and real inflation for real people, I don't know what is. At the peak of the crisis, I was filling up my car mm. petrol again, coming in from a long way away. I can't do. I have an electric; it just doesn't work. Uh, that 99p a litre at the low. I'm now paying at most 121 to 124 a litre as well. That, ladies and gentlemen, is real inflation. That affects petrochemicals. That affects the whole host of industries as well, uh, and of course. Food as well, because
0: one of the things in food is transportation as well, and food prices have gone up. Not a good time to tap you for a loan, obviously, no, obviously. in that circumstance. But but that raises an, an important question. You may be seeing some inflation in what you're paying for your oil, but are we seeing widespread wage inflation? And and that's my problem here, because I I'd be leaping about like everybody else saying inflation's coming if it was showing up in headline wage costs for companies or benefits for employees but at the moment i, I don't know that we're seeing that and yeah. and that's my you know when the spidey senses start to trigger and you think inflation's coming we need to worry weimar two, and all those uh, metaphors for a pickup in inflation but when you look at wages i'm not sure that we're seeing companies responding to those upticks well, don't in forget what, prices.
1: What, what biden was trying to get into the and i haven't seen the latest on this but biden was trying to get into the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus yeah, something that's long overdue in many people's opinion, and that is getting the federal wages up to 15 bucks an hour minimum as well. So I think that's interest. That That's real wage inflation. What is it at the moment? Seven and a quarter bucks, Americans out there? I think it's something like that. But let's move
0: on and have, you're going to have a look at dollar crosses and I'll come back. Well, we can pop the boards back up. I think our audience had a quick look at that. But again, there are some other interesting features of this. For all of those out there who are hoping that we're going to have a really strong year for emerging markets and beneficiaries of a weaker dollar... The dollar index continues just to throw a little bit of doubt into the trade. We've had some strong gains on sterling, obviously, that's taken us through the 138 and onwards. But again, on a day where you get the dollar digging its feet in because the prospect, I guess, of making a better interest rate in dollar assets encourages you to go back to the safety of the dollar here, you would expect uh, currencies against the dollar to be a little bit weaker.
1: Okay, let's move on. Texas authorities are struggling to cope with freezing temperatures that have disrupted the state's power grid for another day. Three million homes have met uh, have both heat and electricity supplies affected. Uh, The weather conditions have also impacted wells and refineries in the area. And I've mentioned oil. Well, look. Look at that three-month move, 45% higher on three-month WTI, similar kind of gains on Brent. I watched a very interesting battle on Brent yesterday. I, I, I spent far too much time looking at the intraday move, but it was basically, tried to breach 62.71 on the downside and then 63.60ish on the upside. Very interesting battle going on there. Gold, here's the thing. if, if Does inflation and gold have a, a direct relationship? Some people will sell that to you. Not always sure, to be honest. Don't forget, when gold was at two thousand bucks, we didn't have a, a hope of inflation anywhere. Now people are talking about inflation. Look at this. I'm just chucking it out there because a lot of people say, oh, if there's inflation, we need to have gold as a protection hedge. Seventeen ninety trading around its lowest levels uh, of the year as well. And this was interesting yesterday. If we are off to the races. If the bull market has further to go, I think it was a Bank of America survey yesterday was saying 27% of respondents think we're at the early stage of a bull market, and only about 13% of people were worried about uh, us hitting the top of the bull market. If things are so good out there, one, why was those treasury yields coming off yesterday? And I think there's lots of interesting arguments there. And why was this as well? Have a look at this. Have a look at this, the fix. (laughs) It's like, it's like Debbie McGee and Paul Paul Daniels, isn't it? Like or, or Tommy, Tommy. Cooper. It's a, it's a really bad magic show
0: <laughs> where, <laughs> where the rabbit just doesn't oh, appear. Man.
1: If, for American international audience, if you don't know who Tommy Cooper is, please just look him up. He was just a, a classic in the set. Anyway, this is what I was trying to say. 7.5% higher uh, on the Vicks yesterday. If, if we're off to the races, why would people taking that protection? Karen, get us back to san- uh, Sanity
2: inflation might be a little bit like that magic trick down the track though, Uh, try to look for it under a hat and in a box and see where it's hiding because the other piece of the puzzle is around further fiscal stimulus so let's just circle back to where we stand on that as House Democrats hope to vote on President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan by the end of the month that is despite Republican opposition to the size of the proposal Biden travelled out of Washington for the first time since entering the White House to defend the package. In a CNN Town Hall in Wisconsin. He said the stimulus will support the recovery, adding that he hopes vaccines will be available to all Americans by the end of July.
3: It's highly unlikely that by the beginning of next year's traditional school year in September, we are not significantly better off than we are today. But it matters. It matters whether you continue to wear that mask. It matters whether you continue to socially distance. It matters whether you wash your hands with hot water. Those things matter.
2: There was a voice talking to us about inflation on the back of the last crisis. That very key voice was the St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, who now says the economy is on a solid footing as the country heads into the second year of the pandemic. Speaking to CNBC, Bullard said inflation may start to pick up as the U.S. exits the crisis. I think we're in good shape with inflation,
0: uh, right now, uh, of course, we've missed our inflation target to the low side for really since 2012. So now I think you do have some more inflation pressure in the economy. I do think inflation will move up this year.
2: We have some earnings crossing this morning. The latest from Kering, the owner of Gucci and the luxury company reporting that four-year revenue fell 17.5% to 13.1 billion euros. Uh, what we've got on on the actual revenue line, 13.1 billion versus the, the 15.88 billion same time a year ago. So you can see the extent of the pandemic hit on the numbers. Recurring operating income that fell uh, that was at 3.14 billion versus 4.78 billion euros same time a year ago. So operating income also in reverse. Income group share at 2.15 billion versus 2.31 billion, same time a year ago. So, even though we talk about a good crisis for some of the luxury companies, still there has been an impact with the closure of stores and tourists not traveling. The group's net debt totaled 2.15 billion euros at the end of December. And the company will ask shareholders, though, to approve a uh, €8 euro per share cash dividend for 2020. So still asking for a pair to shareholders, despite a fairly rough year, remains confident in its growth potential for the medium and long term. And uh, the company, uh, I think, um, in contrast a little bit to what we've seen in some of the other luxury makers, don't forget there's been a real spread. If you look at LVMH in terms of where they're invested with their assets from spirits like cognac across to timepieces, very broad spread versus mostly clothing apparel that you've got in the Gucci, uh, YSL, Bottega Veneta uh, type of assets that uh, dominates the carrying earnings.
0: Terrific, Karen. Thank you for that. We may circle back, I think, and talk a bit about luxury, because I think it's very interesting to see how uh, the high net worths and others are spending their money. But let's get to Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist at High Frequency Economics. Carl, very good morning to you, and thanks for joining us once again. You will have heard uh, Steve, Karen, and myself um, talking about inflation, talking about why the 10-year is back through one spot three. What's your take on what's going on and uh, how much higher do you think the 10-year yield goes?
3: Well, good morning, Steve, Jeff, and Karen. Thanks for having me on today. That's the question, isn't it, inflation? And uh, I think that Steve is a perfect test tube For the experiment as to uh how this is going to play out in both the economy and in people's minds because perceptions are more important than reality so if steve goes to the, the the petrol station and it costs him more to fuel up his car and more to heat up his home then he thinks he's experiencing inflation and if he does that he might ask cnbc for a higher wage if he does that he might accelerate a purchase of a big ticket item to beat higher prices in the future and he might behave as though there's inflation and that's what I think is the big concern right now the unanchoring of inflation expectations and I think Jeff you hit an important point there an important element in inflation are wages and people getting higher wages during a time of still very high unemployment and still a lot of slack in the economy that would be a sign that an inflation process has begun but we see no indication of that. Whatsoever. What we see is the perception of inflation being fueled by energy prices. Brent crude Brent has gone from 30% lower than a year ago as recently as November to 9% higher than a year ago right now. That's what Steve's feeling at the pump. And that's going to be 102% higher than a year ago by the time that we get to March and 140% higher than a year ago by the time we get to April. So people like Steve are going to continue to complain about the prices of things at the pump. They're going to say we're experiencing inflation. We're going to see maybe as much as two and three Quarter percentage points added to headline increases in CPI, headline inflation rates in the eyes of, of people. But all increases in the CPI are not inflation, and this is not inflation. And this basis effect and increase will work out of the numbers by the time we get to the end of the year. We're getting back to normal from a depressed base. We're not in a realm anywhere close to where inflation, true inflation, is in sight.
0: So let me ask you for a longer term perspective on this, Carl, because as I look at that issue of whether we are anchored at the lower bound on policy rates, the, the big number that comes into my head is is what the near two hundred and fifty trillion dollars worth of global debt we now have. And I guess it may even go higher than that, given the amount that governments are now borrowing to uh, help their economies through this pandemic is that ultimately going to prevent inflation from rising back to anything much above two to three percent
3: well i think that we are going to end up in the two to three percent range for inflation pretty much where we have been maybe even a little bit lower the run-up in government debt uh, right now is affordable and it is concentrated in a number of countries and for the moment at least there seem to be adequate savings out there to finance it. A one and a quarter percent yield on the 10 year U.S. Treasury is higher than 60 basis points for sure, but by historical standards, it's neither the end of a bull market, it's not a big reversal of where we've been before, and it's not at all high. So we're still looking at very favorable conditions for financing, very low and agreeable interest rates, more than low enough to keep the economy moving forward. We do expect recovery at high frequency economics. We do expect to get back over the course of the next year, the jobs that we've lost. With the vaccinations, the services sector will be able to come back, but it's not going to be a fast road, it's going to be a long slog, and we'll have all this distortion along the way, the data are going to be nuts, Jeff, over the next few months. I mean, the U.S. economy, industrial production shed 17% in just two months last year, and when we compare numbers for this year, when we don't have a similar drop against those numbers, the growth numbers are going to look through the roof by the time we get to March and April, and we're looking on a depressed basis to think about year-over-year changes, right? We're going to be in an inflationary panic for a few months here, but in a short period of time, by the time we get to summer, that panic's going to subside.
2: Uh, Carl, I want to ask you about the impact of any increase in the minimum wage. Uh, I can see fast food workers about to start striking demanding the the $15 per hour wage that uh, they were flagged or aware of during the the campaign for for Biden's election. Uh, What do you think happens if there is some succession in pushing this through? And uh, I use a caveat here because it looks like the same usual arguments have come out that if we do grant pay rises, then jobs will go down the track. So it is that that trade-off that's been presented to workers at this point. If it is a What's the ramification for inflation? Is it automatically inflationary?
3: Well, nothing is automatically inflationary. First of all, it has to get passed. Alright and right now that's contentious among even Democrats themselves who have a very slim majority uh, in both the House and particularly in the Senate. So first let's see if it happens. If it does happen the minimum wage affects a very small slice of the American labor force and a very small slice of the goods and services production that comprise uh, the overall price index. So it might add a little bit of a zip to inflation but history shows that there's really not that much of um, uh, of, of an increase when we do get an increase in uh, in the minimum wage so but I'm really skeptical at this point that it's going to happen the president's imperative to pass the big support elements of the package means he doesn't have time to argue over the minimum wage which is something that can be debated in a separate measure in the future.
1: Carl oh, loving the uh, references thank you very much indeed very enjoying what I've heard so far as well and actually to be fair I always enjoy Rubila's comment as well your G- chief US economist, but- But just one more point on this one as well. Central bankers have got many mandates, but obviously market stability, economic growth, price uh, control, what have you, they're all in there somewhere as well. But in terms of market stability, is there a danger, just going back to Jeff's point, that we are going to get market instability at some point uh, if the uh, central bankers don't start thinking, hang on a second, I'm slightly worried. If we see the growth scenario that you're talking about, Carla, and I've got no reason to doubt that will happen as well, uh, are we going to have a slight problem with debt loads that have been raised. Are we going to have a slight problem with market stability?
3: I don't think so. I don't see any basis to look for it right now. Um, I don't see any kind of a shock that would undermine confidence in the bond market and send a higher risk uh, uh, premiums into the bond market uh, I think that the what the market is discounting right now is primarily concerned that there is going to be inflation and expectation of inflations, and that that will prompt a response I think central banks and we're going to hear from uh, from them in the Fed minutes uh, later today uh, but I think central banks and central bankers will emphasize their focus will be on core CPI which is very well behaved everywhere And the hint that we might get, to pick up your and Jeff's point, is that wages are the key to price stability. And that's always been the case, and that needs to be reiterated. So I think the central banks will tell us that as long as core CPI is well-behaved, and as long as people are not going out and demanding higher pay packets at a time when unemployment rates are still high, that... Price stability is pretty well assured, and financial stability, therefore, I think, will hinge off of that. I don't see a bear market in bonds anytime soon. I think we've pretty much had it. We're as scared as we're ever going to be about inflation right now, and and that's not really very scared. uh, But we're as scared as we're going to be, and that the outlook by the time we get to summer will be a lot more bullish uh, on price stability.
0: Carl, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this morning. Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist at High Frequency Economics uh, with us out of New York. Now, all this talk about disinvesting in oil businesses. Well, a couple of the world's uh, largest money managers have been doubling up on oil companies. We're going to tell you a bit more about how Warren Buffett and David Tepper have been placing their bets when we come back as we get those... 13F filings from the hedge funds.
1: Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has taken on new positions in Chevron and Verizon according to the latest 13F filings. The Oracle of Omaha continued to trim his stake in Apple, but the iPhone maker still remains by far the biggest equity holding in Berkshire's portfolio. I should say Berkshire, shouldn't I? Uh, Buffett also upped his position in Kroger, Merck and Bristol-Myers Squibb. The veteran investor pruned his exposure to financials, uh, exiting stakes in JP Morgan and PNC whilst cutting his holding in Wells Fargo by almost 60%. I'm going to be really rude here and I shouldn't say this, but if he hadn't done anything and just bought an S&P ETF, would he have been better off over the financial crisis? I'm sorry to say and I know I shouldn't do that because it's sacrilege because this man is awesome and has done so many amazing things over the year. But when I look at the chart of his performance over the entire financial crisis, I think he's underperformed the S&P by double digits. I think it's about 13, 14%. I haven't got the exact number, but it looks like that to me as well. So dare I say, you know, amazing man, amazing portfolio, knows his stuff, far better than I ever will. But he has underperformed significantly, guys.
2: Oh, Steve, thanks. I was going to pick up on the Verizon story because you may have touched on something. And what is jumping out to me around these bets is that uh, Buffett is picking up some potential outperformers down the track, stocks that may have under- underperformed during this crisis and may have a stronger ramp up down the track. And that's the difference if you're buying the index versus buying actively on the markets. You need to find that outperformance somewhere. Verizon was one that jumped out to me. I know there's been a lot of naysaying around the desk around the 5G journey, but Verizon is a big play on 5G in future. It was seen as one of the biggest uh, bidders in the spectrum auction for 5G recently. But uh, you know, so too at the other end of the spectrum. Um, you've also seen a bet at the lower end that uh, if there is some sort of extra competition coming through from players like uh, T-Mobile, then you've got Buffett also at the other end of the spectrum. So I think it's fascinating that he now sees an opportunity around that end of the market. ARPUs recently, in Verizon's numbers a few weeks back, also started to turn a corner. So perhaps it is uh, that early investing, the early signaling, where he gets on board and finds that real recovery stock. And I thought, for me, it was really quite evident in the telecommunications space.
1: Karen, I'm just going to palpably come back to you, because what you said is just not true. I haven't naysayed the technology of 5G. What I've naysayed is the profitability of operators from 5G, okay. given the expenses of the rollout. These companies didn't make any near the kind of money they said they were going to make at the turn of the century on 3G. They haven't seen a benefit in their share prices, quite the opposite from 4G. I have great historical data, which adds to my scepticism, that says that 5G for operators will remain very tough, Karen.
2: Yeah, so this is the point that the naysaying is around the profitability, right? And, uh, you know, you might have the same sort of comments to make around Verizon that it is a risky bet and you could be right. But I think what's interesting is that there's roughly about three major players in that American market and Buffett's gone for two of them. One of the, uh, the companies Verizon's seen as is- potentially the best placed and the best performer. But if that's not the case and it's undercut by competition, he's also brought the the other end of the spectrum right at the bottom, the the third player. So I think it's a bet on 5G in every respect. So, you know, you could be right, but uh, Buffett's probably cleverly playing the story as it unfolds now.
0: Just, I just wanted to move quickly on to the other story, I think, which was Chevron, which I thought was interesting here, because the d- definition of successful investing, of course, is to pay for something less than it's actually worth here. And we know that there's a big focus around the energy companies right now and whether they should be uh, disinvesting in oil and gas and moving very quickly into the renewable space here. Fascinating that we've got two very big name investors who have decided that they think there is a lot of value Still in these energy stocks. And when you look at uh, Chevron Corporation, we're about 93 bucks or or so at the moment here. This is a business that over the five year period has uh, traded uh, as high as $125. So clearly there is a a position being taken. And as we saw in the recent Bank of America Merrill Lynch survey, energy is still one of those sectors outside of renewables that is under-owned at this stage. I think it's a very interesting um, position to get involved in, given what we heard from Carl Weinberg uh, a little while ago about where he thinks inflation will go to and then ultimately where it will tend to ease away from. Is this a short-term trade on the oil stocks or is this the beginning of building positions by some of these major investors because they think that there are opportunities further down the road for the energy price to remain higher for some time. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.